It's Joker Man again. We're back, um, and we're continuing to talk about the nineteen eighty four live album, Real Live. It's me, Evan, and uh, as always, I'm joined by Ian, fellow traveler, fellow explorer of the the depths with real real live and uh we just listened to the uh best thing we'd heard so far on this record which was uh it ain't me babe um best i think pretty decidedly because it does what none of the other tracks so far have done which is uh not try so hard and it not actually, suck yeah not suck but 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 specifically not suck uh by being so uh so intent on being macho it it's a, an acoustic number you know just bob dylan with a regular style guitar um is it a fully acoustic or is it a, is it just a plugged in acoustic? I don't know. Yeah, it might be acoustic electric, I guess. Because, uh, well, actually, I'm looking at the cover right now, and I guess maybe this is a good chance for us to yeah, we should talk about, about the, the cover, cover. and yeah. an equally important moment. But it looks like on the cover, it sort of looks like he has a mic just up against an acoustic guitar. Uh, like it's John, not an Jonathan acoustic electric Richmond style. Right, seen, yeah. John, I might how, be I might not be seeing this correctly. It's not a very high res image, but uh that's what I can tell. That's how Jonathan Richmond does it. He he has just a like a nylon string, I think, a lot of the time and he'll just he's got the mic right up against the sound hole. Um anyway, it it ain't me babe was really good and um I suppose uh before we go into the next song we should we want to talk about the cover always got to talk about the cover yeah um the cover of this looks like <laughs> it, it 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 looks like um like somebody was like talking to the the art department at Columbia and said um can you just get me some something for the text uh, something that just looks like hot piss. <laughs> something that looks like steaming piss. And uh, they were like, way ahead of you. <laughs> We've got the just the thing. Uh, it's like, it, it's um, really weird. Uh, it looks like, you know, in like, videos from like, like VHS tapes and, and, stuff from from the uh early from the 80s to the to to the 90s early 90s like there's all these like weird graphics like the beginnings of computer graphics for intros and bumpers and stuff right right um like i can so easily imagine the way that this looks like being like animated like you see it go like and it goes like real live as it's like right. being written out like a laser is etching it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it looks, it looks pretty bad. And, um, the whole thing just has this sort of 
piss yellow uh, neon look to it. Um, Bob Dylan is wearing a leather jacket and a t-shirt. He like doesn't look that bad, but it, it's got this golden. It again just looks like piss. Yeah, sort of a sickly orange, like jaundiced yeah. kind of uh, appearance to it. This is um, this is I, I texted you this the other day. I think uh, that a lot of these like mid '80s albums on Wikipedia um, uh, or BobDylan.com have these very low res images uploaded uh, as their official cover art on these web pages. Uh, and I wasn't I wasn't necessarily referring to real live at the time, but but now that I look at the BobDylan.com entry, if you can see here, this is yes. this is this is the image of uh, real live that appears on BobDylan.com. <laughs> Maybe we can upload this yeah, to yeah, the Instagram. It, it doesn't say <laughs> Bob Dylan real live. So the one I'm looking at on um, a streaming service uh, says Bob Dylan real live. Right. Um, in white, the same sort of graffiti esque, like, God, what an ugly text choice. Um, in a way, I almost it's it's objectively it. This picture, this cover looks like it smells bad. <laughs> and uh, the one that they have on BobDylan dot com features for some reason. It's the CD version, uh, so yeah, it has the. Yeah, there's it a says, nice, there's a very prominent compact disc it logo says in the bottom right. Compact disc, very, you know, it's like a stark black background against that um, piss Christ looking uh, <laughs> yellow, and uh, yeah. You'll also you'll also note the image uh, up here in the in the tab is is noted at a cool two hundred and twenty five by two hundred and twenty five <laughs> pixels. That is uh, <laughs> a cut a cutting edge resolution for the year two thousand and three. That's a lot. Anyways, these 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 very low res uploads of these mid eighties albums. There, there's something appropriate uh, about it uh, to right. me. Like like it it almost seems like if you bought this record in a record store and you got like a you know a big twelve inch actual cardboard sleeve. Like it should look this pixelated and this shitty yeah. in reality in it's, in three dimensional space. If you were at these shows, it it looked like Bob was pixelated in real life. <laughs> he was he was in effect effectively he was pixelated during this period. He was yeah, he was he was, he was clipping. clipping across yeah. the stage. Yeah, he's clipping into into Mick Taylor. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's lagging and clipping everywhere. Um, and uh, it's reflected on songs like, I guess let's just be, get into the next song, which is um, Tangled Up in Blue. Our old favorite. But it's different uh, because uh, another example of Bob Dylan feeling especially free to take uh, lyrical liberties with his own material um, when it comes to Blood on the Tracks songs. Uh, there's actually, on the bootleg that we both listened to, called uh, 
what, what was it? What is it called? All roads, All roads lead, lead to, to Wembley. <laughs> Jesus, um, <laughs> that uh, that also uh, is from this same show, and um, the lyrics to the uh, simple twist of fate on that are like totally weird and uh, different than the yeah. original. There's something it, it, this this might just be anecdotal and based off of this this particular session and and a couple other things that have are just sticking out of my mind but that for some reason Bob seems like w- more interested and willing in fucking with the lyrics on Blood on the Tracks Right that's tracks. that's what I was just saying he's yeah, uh, he, he th- seems to be like those ones are more uh, fluid to him. He's more fungible. Yeah, exactly. He's a uh, unprecious with them, which is interesting because they seem to be so personal, and maybe that's why. Uh, who knows? But um, this version of Tangled Up in Blue, I don't. I don't know. It, it, certain things in it, like, give me like a weird. It's like Tangled Up in Blue, but it takes place this time in the 80s, in the early 80s. <laughs> um, and, and the vibe that I get from it is um, just to entertain a flight of fancy here for me. It's like, it's like a John Hughes movie version of, of uh, Tangled Up in Blue. Lyr- okay. Lyrics like, radio blasts in the news, yeah. straight on through... Like it's like planes, trains, and automobiles. It's a, <laughs> it's um, it's like like I imagine in the original version, the narrator is like some kind of um, I imagine him sort of dressed like Bob Dylan dressed at that time, wearing like cool big like n- sort of uh, Alaskan coats and hats and things like that, and uh, you know faded jeans and cowboy boots. And in this one, I'm imagining the the protagonist is like wearing a big ski jacket and like smoking a cigarette in his Pontiac or whatever. Right. So you're yeah you're imagining uh, Bob Dylan as John or excuse me John Candy as Bob Dylan. Yeah. Although there's lyrics in this where I wonder, um, I wonder if he is talking about a black man because. There's something, a, a lyric that he says of, like, going down south and then being treated like a boy. Something like that. Interesting. Yeah. I, I haven't committed all of the lyrical changes to memory. I, 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 I know what you're talking about uh, before he goes into, like, the Baton Rouge verse. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, that, that certainly could be. I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, I think the I think this this song, or this version of this song, sort of earns earns its right to exist, uh, which is more than can be said for a lot of the material on this record. Uh, in in that, it is a there's something interesting about it at the very least. Uh, this is another acoustic take, right? It's just Bob and a guitar, and and he gets into the harmonica a little later. Um, so uh so I think it makes sense once again coming off of what we talked about on side A at the end with uh, it ain't me babe which was absolutely the high point of the first side 
um, that same sort of setup leads to another high point here, first track on side B. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, just just the very fact of him having fucked with these lyrics and, and rewritten them yet again, once again, these aren't these aren't the lyrics from the official canonical version of uh, this song on Blood of the Tracks. They also aren't the lyrics from the New York cut of Tangled Up in Blue. Uh, that that uh, that we have we have been so fond of on on this program, um, they're they're just a you know a yet another new set of lyrics here or for part of the song at least, and I don't even necessarily think they're better lyrics. No, but they're, um, they're not bad. No, but yeah, they're not they're not bad. They're not they're not particularly good. Also, I mean, like they're not. It's not like this is an improvement on on the uh, right. the original album cut or the New York cut. But it's just like there's there's something interesting going on here, and that's the point of a live record to me. It's like just give us a reason to want to listen to this song, th- this version of this song, instead of just going to the the same version that we're that we've always known and, and been familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think that's been the failing, or that is the failing of most of the songs on the first track, and certainly several of the songs we'll get to later here uh, coming up. Um, this, this is one of the few on this record that is, is there's, there's something else going on here. There's a reason for this to exist apart from the original, you know, the original version on the original record. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, this one is, at least it gives you something different. I mean, you can always, if you're willing, if you, if you feel like listening to, Tangled up in blue, but it takes place during the Reagan era. Then you've got this one. <laughs> that's, that's that's true. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's a good song. It's it's the first time that this song has been uh, has made an appearance in in a, on a live record of, of Bob's. At least this is the uh, he hasn't done a whole lot of Blood on the Tracks material on live records up until this point, obviously in the years since, you know, the bootleg series stuff, um, you know, they, they've, there've been plenty of appearances, uh, but in the, you know, original canonical album run of his, like he, there was idiot wind on hard rain. That's and I right. think that might, I guess there's shel- there, there was that weird version of shelter, of the storm or shelter from the storm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, on um no that was on hard uh, rain as well that's the, right there, the were, yeah, there was a weird the... version on hard rain and there was an even weirder version on budokan i don't remember what does the budokan version sound like again no that the one that i think the one you were just no no that's mentioned. the hard rain one is that the hard rain the hard version? rain is the one with bow down 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 does in another lifetime. One of Tell and blood. blood. Yeah. Yeah, Shelter from the Storm. No, this is the second song on Budokan. Let's see. Hang on. I'm going to listen to it right now. It's the same kind of thing. No, Come the, in, she said, I give you no, Shelter the one from on, the Storm. Yeah, no, the one on no, the one on Budokan is the one the with walks on a hot The one on Budokan the is the one with the uh, it's that terrible harmony with I came in from the wilderness, a creature void of form. That's the one on Budokan. Is yeah. that like stupid harmony? The one on Hard Rain. On. 
Oh, you, you got to listen to it. You you rem- you'll remember instantly. It's the one with that like bizarre, unique guitar lick. It's honestly really cool. Um, anyway, we're we're off track. Um, let's let's just go to the next one. We're, we're so that's right. Far behind where we need to be to get over with it. I'm de- I'm determined to make this the longest episode of Jokerman ever uh, <laughs> about about the most essential album that we've ever talked yeah, about we're be real live till till the break of dawn. <laughs> Just talking about how we don't give a shit uh, about this record. Well, uh, the next song is Masters of War, and um, sure is. Here's another, you know, we're back. We're back into the the old habits of this show, of this record. And the big mistakes, again, where, especially clear on this song, it's like, you'd think that a song about the uh, negative effects of firepower um, would, you'd think that he would be conscious enough to realize that this song is all about, um, it doesn't, it's not a rock and roll song, you know, this is a song that, that gets its power from being a quiet, determined, deadly, serious, uh, in, uh, one man against the world type of thing. Right. Um, it's so uh, so clearly an example of the sum of its parts being uh, not equal to the... Uh, what's the phrase? Um, uh, it's less than the sum of its parts. That's right. Um, the original has such gravitas and, and uh, power from being a song that is just like one, one voice, one guitar... <laughs> Uh, similar thing to what we've discussed um, in the past about the on Budokan, the the version of um, it's all right, it's all right Ma, Ma. where yep. that song is feels so much bigger than any big band could really make it feel. And and just to go on and on a flight of fancy for a second, I I think this is a problem that I have often felt with all kinds of music and all kinds of live shows of bands playing is when you see a band and they seem not to understand that, that one instrument on a stage has so much power potentially on its own. One voice and one instrument can be like the biggest thing in the world. When you put it on a stage, I feel like so many bands don't understand this fundamental thing that like you can actually be diluting your potency by putting more firepower on that stage. And, um, that's something Jonathan Richmond, uh, as mentioned in before, he always has understood. Uh, That's why when you see Jonathan Richmond, he is on that stage with a guitar um, he's always understood it as a, ever since, you know, after the Modern Lovers stuff, he was quick to realize, 
I could actually have a better connection, a more vital and uh, powerful connection with an audience if I'm just playing my guitar and have Tommy on drums. And they're not loud drums, you know? It's just like a little kit. And it becomes so intimate and um, so stirring to the audience because of that, that like it feels bigger and more memorable than any... uh, any guitar hero hero type of shit, um, which just has diminishing returns and doesn't age as well, in my opinion. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that, that uh, after Tangled Up in Blue starts us off on the right note on the second side. This is you know we're we're right that right back down in in the in the bullshit. Uh, this is a very kind of like a like a spooky take on Masters of War or something or or like witchy or something it just it, with this they're going for some sort of vibe with this the the guitar that that's leading them here and it's just not coming through whatsoever and uh and yeah I completely agree that this is this is just like uh taking something that's so powerful in its simplicity and and completely blowing it out to the point where it's no longer what it originally was or or is is effective at all um the the lyrics also bob seems to be like just sort of like scatting through them almost like he's not even singing the full lines or the full verses uh it's just like you know the the song begins and he's just like Carrying a masters of war. He doesn't even bother like enunciating or, or right. speaking all of the specific words in the line. It's just, it's such a weird, it, it, you know, it, it's not good folks. We, yeah, we, no. uh, this, this, we, we hate to see it. This has to be, this song has to be lucid. If nothing else, um, this is one of the most intense lyrical, uh, songs <laughs> that Bob Dylan has written, especially if he's like in his protest song canon. Um, no pun intended there. No. Uh, it's uh, just a, a waste to do it without without really feeling like you're he's connected to the to the vocal. Um, and so it goes. It's uh, not, not, not a highlight. Right. Yeah. It, it. It's almost as if he's like misunderstanding or, or has forgotten what what drives these songs and what makes them powerful in the first place. Is like you know, Masters of War and and it's all right, Ma. For for that matter, at the end of Budokan, these are like the the music that they're set again is set against on the original recorded versions is like it's perfunctory it's just there to get you from beginning to end it's it's a means to an end just to convey you throughout the you know throughout the the series of of uh lengthy literate deep lyrics that that bob has written for these songs and so by by emphasizing the music uh overemphasizing the music um uh and and kind of uh shunting his lyrics off to the side you know the the song just 
it, it it's not what the original song it's not what the song was originally or what it was supposed to be and and I'm you know as as I hope we've established at this point uh after our our conversation of Budokan if, if nothing else like I'm I'm uh always a fan of radical reinterpretations uh of songs but they you know they need to be reinterpreted for for a reason instead of just because it sounds cool. You know, or you know what reminds me that reminds me a lot uh, of this thing that John Cale did a few years ago. Now, which was he he took all of the the album music for a new society, right? Yeah, and, and he, he like re-did. remixed it or something. Yeah, well, he read or re-recorded, he remade it. He remade right. the entire record. He was a reissue that was also paired with a complete reimagining, re-recording of the record. And um, as m- I love John Cale, but ninety-nine percent of what he put out with that reimagining is just trash. And it sounds like it—it's—it's—it it's, just seems like he was really swept up in the. Do, this sounds cool. Um, and ignore like ignored the f- what made those songs good in in the first place. I will say that the um, the version of if you were still around that came out of that reimagining um, is very good, and I actually think it's really kind of justifies that whole project. Um, really beautiful, and mm. um, but. Of course, that original song is also tremendous and beautiful. But most of that stuff, yeah, it's it's another example of one of these like great artists and uh, doing something where you wonder, do they even know what's good about themselves? Right. Like, do you even? And and that's sometimes the uh, artists don't. I, I think sometimes great artists lose perspective on what was good about their past work. And um, that's only a problem when they insist upon doing that, bringing that past work back into the, into their current performance. Um, Because then you can't avoid the, it seems weird. Yeah. If they're if they lose touch with what made their earlier stuff good, but they keep pressing on, like someone like Scott Walker, he's never gonna. It was never gonna do. Um, the sun ain't gonna shine anymore after night flights or whatever. Uh, fine, he never made you think that he was gonna do that. He just kept pushing forward, but it's in these weird moments when you have the muddy water of like the old mixing with the new and it feeling uncanny that uh we have to say not uh not good yeah not good it's it's i i think there is something like sort of useful or positive or instructive or or whatever you want to say about ventures like this album because it 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 throws into sharp relief how 
uh, how brilliant and how 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 enduring the original versions of a lot of these these tracks still are. Uh, and you know, I know, I know, you know, we probably shouldn't take them for granted as much as we do, but you know, you, you kind of can't help but do so, especially with an artist like Bob. And so, just hearing these, just completely inert. Uh, uh, misguided versions, you know, decades after the originals uh, were were initially released. Like, you know, it it it. If anything, it makes the original version sound sound better by contrast. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so so if nothing else, I think that's something that we can take away from from some of these songs, uh, most of these songs on this record, at least. Uh, and and Masters of War is definitely definitely one of those. Um, Unless you have anything else to say, we can we can roll right along to one of his perennial favorites in a live setting, at least a live setting on a on a live album, uh, the old ballad of a thin man. Well, I will just say one more thing: is that one of the great lyrics on this is uh, the one about I see through your eyes and I see through your brain, like I see through the water that uh, goes down my drain, or whatever he says. That's a great lyric. Hmm. Uh, so good. I always thought the lyric, when your death takes its toll, was a little redundant. But, um, you know, class A, S-tier song. Uh, yeah, next is Ballad of a Thin Man, which, again, we've we've discussed on the last, um, on the last one that... Uh, the last live record that is where where this came up. This is one of the worst songs you that Bob Dylan could do at this point in his career. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's just like as much as it was hard. At least Masters of War is timeless in its themes, and even if you're not really feeling it, or he's he's not really feeling it so much, you. If you catch any of the lyrics, you know, you can actually understand them. They're timeless. They're righteous and true. Um, They don't really depend on Tood. Uh, They can just be said clearly and it'll work. Uh, Whereas Ballad of a Thin Man is a song that only works when you are actually swagging out. Yeah, it's no good. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, we we talked about this on on Budokan, which uh, was I, I think in general quite a triumph uh, as far as live albums go. CR three star rating series. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you want to. Refresh yourself there, available on the Jokerman Instagram account. Um, listening to Bob play this song as he gets older, just it, or, it, every time he plays this song as he gets older, it becomes even harder to bear, I would say. Yeah. You know, the, the further away from the original recording of this track he gets, the more it fails. And Although, the more it's. I think that actually, if he, when he does it now, um, well, sure. it's become like it, it's circled back around to being um, palatable and uh, cool. Absolutely, because Absolutely. now yeah, it's, it's like horseshoe. 
Now he's talking to Anthony Fantano, you know, or, right. or other Bob Dylan self-professed, you know, fans. Honestly, it's like these people who think think something's happening that's actually not. Like they want it to be a certain way and it's not like when people who are disappointed by rough and rowdy ways or by the 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 Sinatra records like it becomes relevant once more um somehow and it it's had a second life but in the middle of the career uh where we're at right here it actually is kind of tragic to hear Bob Dylan sing this song and it sucks yeah it's uh not good it, the third it's the third appearance of this song on on the quartet of live albums over the decade uh the the Budokan version uh, the bef- the before the flood version and and now the real live version uh and of those three versions definitely far and away the 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 worst version even as bad i think as the Budokan version was this is even worse if only because it is another 5 years later or you know another five years on from the original recording of this track, and so I agree with you. You know, it, Bob playing this song in in 2020 or whatever 2019 uh, when he was last playing song, uh, shows is uh, is cool again. It's it's a horseshoe theory kind of thing. It's come back around, but uh, at this point in time in 1984, it's it's still it, every every year that is passing from the original recording uh, is is another 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 step down the ladder i would say uh and this is this is this is five years five years on from budokan five steps further down the ladder which which itself was already five steps down from the before the flood version um another very almost like almost a parody of of his own singing style uh here with with the uh with with the with the whiny take uh, it's a very, like, um, uh, just, you gotta sell this song. Like this song has to be sold in a way that it, that takes into account. I mean, it's like one of the most sarcastic, vicious songs that Bob Dylan ever wrote. Arguably more vicious than like a Rolling Stone. Even it's like nothing but hatred for the um, the people who want to piss and moan and 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 whittle Bob Dylan down into some uh, understandable thing. But these people who he's addressing. In this song, the character of Mr. Jones, it's like someone who doesn't exist anymore in the 1980s. Right. It's it, this this character, this like fuddy duddy in a suit that's like two sizes too tight for him, is simply not the voice of the media in regards to Bob Dylan in 1984. You you have uh, totally like that. That was basically a song written about people in the 50s it's not even really a song about people in the 60s it's about people who are like not turned on 
at all. These people who would never dream of things that were about to happen two, three years down the line at this point, like 20 years ago from 1984. So it's just terminally out of date and um, it has no place really in the, in the moment for when this was being performed. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. As we talked about last time, I think that in, by 1979, Bob himself was, was quite a ways towards becoming Mr. Jones, uh, you know, the, the thin man, uh, of, of the title here. And if anything, in 1984 in real life, another five years down the line, he's, he's even further along towards becoming Mr. Jones. You know, he's, he's that much closer to becoming this guy who's just completely out of touch and confused and disconnected from what's going on around him and just, you know, like a, like a complete fool. Yeah, but Mr. Jones in the song is somebody who has no conception of fun. And so it's like, here, it's, it's like you've got that hello fellow, like how do you do fellow kids? type of that meme but it goes a step further and it's like aren't the uh, adults lame fellow kids <laughs> right and it's like you're 40 <laughs> like what? you're at, how old is he in 1984 it's mm, a good question i mean probably age is just a number close right? to 50 at this point right i guess He's, I think he's he's almost eighty right now. So if it was, um, yeah, I guess he's four. Yeah, maybe maybe early forties, mid forties, something like that. Right. Uh, I mean, not uh, spring chicken, but yeah. I'm. I it's. I just think that 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 the original song is really an indictment of the nineteen fifties. Right. And I don't think that that's really reckoned with enough. Like, he's talking to people who grew up in the Great Depression who don't get him in the 60s when he's writing that song. <laughs> so, like, what are you fucking... What are you talking about now? Yeah, it, it's just a very... Not to put too fine a point on it. I mean, I've said it, like, three times. But, yeah, I just... Uh, don't do the... Like, again, and the choice to put it on the record... I think we can just move on. I don't know. I don't. I don't have anything more to say about it unless you do. No, it's uh, it's just it's not great. It's not good to hear Bob sing it in 1984. It's it is what it is. Well, thankfully, the next one is a return of sorts to um, really a bulletproof classic. Um, and a song which it would be hard to mess up, um, unless he threw some like Santana type guitar on it, but thankfully that doesn't happen here. He, I'm sure he, I'm sure he fucking wanted to. I mean, it's probably pure chance that this one didn't get that treatment. (laughs) Uh, who knows? But, uh. Girl from the North Country. Girl from the North Country. A song that you can 
uh, ride hard and put away wet and uh, won't be uh, any any worse for the wear. It's a... Uh, what are you going to do? You could have... Yeah, I mean, it, it it's girl from the North Country. What more? What more can you ask for? What more do you want? It's it's uh, a return once again, I guess, for the last time on this record to the softer solo bobbin and an acoustic guitar stage presence. You know, there's no there's no like you said Santana going on here. Yeah, he did. I know. I, it, Santana, in fact, is on the, the next song, the very last one, uh, which uh, I'm. I guess we'll 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 save our conversation for that for a moment. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, he he. So I think Santana was the opener for this for the shows that, that these were taking place at. Um, it, but thankfully, you know, girl from the North Country, he he saved from such a treatment and just you know this is this is another. Well, you know, kind of straight, straightforward take on the song. It's more of the freewheeling version than it is the Nashville skyline version. Which you know, it's I'm uh, as as all of our as all of our dedicated Jokerman listeners know, I'm I'm quite the Nashville skyline guy. Um, and but, uh, I, I have to just say that I I think we will do a three stars revisited episode where we at, at the end of this journey, I think we'll come back and give our actual official final ranking. Um, I think that I may reconsider my, my two, two out of three for Nashville skyline. Um, be- I gotta say, because it's uh, sounding on- real good right now. I'll right. have to see. <laughs> yeah. Now that now that we're now that we're to to this point, and we have so much further to go. Uh, on that on that note, I I I gotta say, that Street Legal has been sounding mighty good to my ears over the last well, uh, really. week or two. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, no time to think. You know, it's it's you know socialism, patriotism. There's a lot going on there, um, uh, but uh, yeah, girl, girl from the North Country. It, you know, we uh, it's it's classic. It's it's simply presented here. This is the first time this song has been presented on a live record, shockingly, uh, and uh, and it's it, it's a it's a a clear lesson in in not doing too much. You know, it's it's just he's Bob is relying on the strength of the song and his own the strength of his own performance and his investment in the song mm-hmm. uh, because it's just him up there on the stage all alone and it's it works it's great like this is it's just it 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 isn't any more complicated than it needs to be it's simple and it's effective and it's a great song and it it you know it's it's one of the stronger cuts on this record yeah simple as that and in in keeping with the simple and sweet nature of this tune 
uh, I think we should just skip on along to the the final track. Finally. Finally. Tombstone Blues. Yeah. So uh, at the beginning of uh, our first episode on this album, I uh, spoke a little bit about how I, I got slightly confused with uh, Tombstone Blues and um, Highway 61, which both are sort of a piece in my mind, I guess, in terms of the the tone and the the vibe, the lyrical play that goes on. Um, the specifically Tombstone Blues, I think, has some really kicking, uh, some hot, hot, some great lyrics. <laughs> um, uh, the sun's not yellow; it's chicken. Isn't that funny? There you go. Isn't that so funny? It's great. Isn't we that, love it. Isn't that funny to you? The sun's not yellow; it's chicken. Flares. I didn't get that the first time I heard it, but um, I did uh, later. And 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 the one the line about uh, the doctor who pulls down the shade and says, "My advice is to not let the boys in." Hmm. So good. Um, this version is um, it, it somehow just uh, drains all of the fun out of it and makes it like I said on. Our, our first episode about this album. Can't believe we've done two episodes about it. Um, it answers a question nobody asked, which is, what if this material was performed as if it wasn't special? And this is what you get. It's just, it's a rootin' tootin' good time. I said that with my eyes rolled back into my brain this song is uh i i don't want to be too dramatic here at the very end of the episode but the song this version of this song is an absolute abomination and i <laughs> am uh almost beyond beyond belief that that bob would record a version of this song uh that is so inert and dry and uh just disconnected from the original uh the, the original version uh, the original uh take on this this song tombstone blues is a punk rock song like i, I as soon as uh, i before we recorded earlier today i went back and listened to the original version and it 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 literally sounds like a punk rock song uh, especially like considering when it when it came out, um, you know, in nineteen uh, sixty five, sixty six, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what we have here is just is a, is is the antithesis of that. It is it is slow and plotting and uh, and and heavy and um, it's and not even actually slow, but it feels slow. Oh right, yeah. I mean, it's just like it's, the the. The the song it's the original song the the cut from the record and and the way that it's supposed to sound is it is sharp and nimble, nimble. Um, that's the key word. This yeah yeah it's not even slow tempo based. It's just it's just like it it like it's it's in and it's out and it it just like cont- it just pours down upon you and that's not that's not at all what's happening here. And and I agree with you. It's just like it's. <laughs> 
Tombstone Blues is one of those ones that you just don't fuck with, and and he has fucked with it here and done it in a terrible way. And uh, you know, I gotta say, it's a uh, it's a thumbs down from me, Bob. Yeah, I I have to agree. Um, it's my advice is to not do this song this way, if yeah. I could say that. Um, Fair enough. This is like the musical version of like taking a uh, a, a fine, dry aged uh, s- steak and um, just turning it into gray country club roast beef that you just carve out and you just hand out a slab and you carve out some more and you hand it out. It's the Trump version of eating a steak, which is you take a nice prime tender cut and you, you cook it well done and then you serve it with with ketchup. Yeah. I mean, nothing against ketchup. I, I love ketchup. And <laughs> it has its place. Um, you know, you I could just... even say that the original version of this song, if you want to flip this uh, metaphor, <laughs> this beef metaphor, you could say that the original version is like a, a wonderful hamburger with ketchup. And this this version is just like uh, this version is like an airport turkey club with ketchup, with no ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> you you would kill for some ketchup. Uh, terrible. Anyway, it's time for us to give this this record. Our our three star system review ranking, and I think I know what it is. So um, yeah, I'm almost tempted to give this a, zero stars. A, a, I'm I'm tempted to give it a zero. I'm not. I can't give it a zero just because just because the the only zero that has been awarded thus far is is Dylan seventy three, and that's not even a Bob record really. So I don't I don't want to say this is as bad because Bob is still recording these songs himself up on stage and and presumably consenting to it being released as a yeah as recorded pr- presumably package. but I I have to admit I had the same I was entertaining the same thought yeah which is not a good sign folks uh, it does it gets a one from me because there are a couple there there are a couple good tracks on here uh, the version of Tangled is is interesting. Uh, you know, Girl from the North Country and It Ain't Me Babe, I think are also solid, solid cuts. Everything else, throw it in the trash, we're done. I, uh, boy, I'm going to give it a zero. Wow. <laughs> Shock, what a, what a shocking, uh, <laughs> shocking uh, outcome here. Um, just because I don't know what... I the Tangle Up in Blue is fine. It's good. Yeah, it's kind of good. Um, Girl from the North Country. I just like feel like it's it's nothing because it's not it. It's done serviceably. It's good, you know. Like it's good. And then um, it ain't me, babe. I just I just don't believe that this record really hits any of the the marks when it comes to like what I want out of a live record and mostly I just feel like 
a little annoyed at it for being such a brazen cash grab or something. It just seems like it didn't need to exist. And this is a good point where I, I think that we should mention the utter slander unleashed upon the world by one Stephen Thomas Erlewine. I was just going to say. Um, from allmusic.com, who in his review of this record, you might remember him from uh, the the awful review he gave to Budokan, and this ties right back into that. Here's a quote from his review of Real Live. Nevertheless, it doesn't feel anywhere nearly as unnecessary as at Budokan, and if it doesn't capture a historically significant tour as Hard Rain did with the Rolling Thunder review... This is a better record all the same, capturing a working band, a working band featuring ex-Stones guitarist Mick Taylor, no less, oh, oh boy, uh, on a pretty good night. Like, why go out of your way to um, shit on at Budokan, which at least is like picking a, making a choice, you know, it... There are choices being made on that record that justify it um, and make it necessary. They they actually like sort of make it a necessary record, even if it on paper wouldn't be. Um, the the spe- specificity of at Budokan and those um, and those versions and those arrangements make them worthy of listening uh, on their own terms. And here we have a record which I think utterly fails to um, to justify itself as a live record, and I frankly don't think that it's worth your time, really. And so uh, that's why I have to give it a zero-star review. I just think that it it doesn't represent the best of anything. I, uh, I, I can't disagree. I, I, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with the one star for the time. Being. I'm glad. Cause I don't, I wouldn't want us both to give it zero stars. I, I actually think that zero one is the right score for it. <laughs> if there's correct cumulative yeah, score. If there's two of yes. us, then yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, not that At Budokan is, like, the best version of any of those songs, but they are um, unique, and you get something for your dollar, you know? You're getting something new, something special, and uh, this doesn't even gratify the listener in in terms of novelty. Budokan is a masterpiece, uh, and I would like to declare Stephen Thomas Erlewine the first official nemesis <laughs> yeah. of the Jokerman podcast. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's he's a master of war, um, <laughs> and uh, I hope that he dies and his de- <laughs> his death will come soon. No, no, I, I hope he has a long life where he uh, reforms his awful opinions about Bob Dylan. I, uh, I hope he lives many years uh, that he can spend re-listening to Budokan in real life uh, so he can come to terms with the absolute uh, uh, 
uh, injustice that he has done to both records uh, with with their respective ratings from his on allmusic.com. Yeah. How many people, how many souls have have read his reviews and picked up a copy of Real Live when faced with, you know, at the record store, you see at Budokan, you see Real Live, and they went with Real Live because of this man. A Shonda. <laughs> a Shonda, indeed. Well, this has been Joker, man. And uh, next, next we're on to bigger and better things. Um, Ian's father is going to be joining us <laughs> for uh, a very special episode um, about, I think, uh, absolutely a more exciting record than the one we just talked about. Um, if, no question. If nothing else, and that's Empire Burlesque. So uh, please tune in for that one. Stick with us on the long, deep descent towards Down in the Groove over these coming weeks. The arduous journey to the center of the groove. (laughs) Joker, man. (laughs) Joker, man.